Bibles with me to Luke chapter 10. This would be a great time to turn off cell phones, GPS, tracking devices, ring for your front door. We got ring installed. Love it. Grateful. It's incessant because we have dogs, chickens, roosters, guineas. And I'm just ready to go out with a shotgun and just shoot everything that makes it go off. But, so if you come by our house, tread lightly. Y'all stand with us this morning. And I don't know what's going around, but everybody has a piece of it. And if y'all get in a coughing fit, either lozenge that thing up, go get some water, do something, because you're ADD pastor. I'm trying to preach and all. Squirrel? Squirrel? Uh, but don't feel too self-conscious about it. Are you there in Luke chapter 10? Isn't it good to be here? Yes. Amen. Luke chapter 10, verse 25. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted Jesus, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said unto him, What is written in the law? How do you read? And he answered, said, Well, you should love the Lord God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. And Jesus said unto him, You answered right, do this and live. But he willing to justify himself said unto Jesus, And who is my neighbor? So j just pause there for just a quick moment. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus, instead of telling him, what he must do to inherit eternal life showed him what eternal life looked like. This is what would be going on in your life if you had eternal life and you had the Holy Spirit. And instead of falling on his knees and saying, I fall short of the two greatest commandments in the word of God. He, in his pride and insolence, said, well, and who is my neighbor? So Jesus... Jesus, the Son of God, God incarnate, uh, one with perfect knowledge. He was all God and all, he was all man, but he was all God. He said, oh, you want to play this game? Okay. So he answered him and said, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. And by chance there came down a certain priest that way. You can mark that in your Bible, a priest. When he saw him, he just passed by on the other side. Let's just act like he's not there. And likewise, a Levite, when he was at the place, came and looked at him, got a little closer, but decided to pass by on the other side. Exempted themselves, I guess. Verse 33. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him. And he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and setting him upon his own beast, and brought him to the inn, and took care of him. And on the morrow when he departed, he took out two pence and gave it to the host and said to him, Will you take care of him for me? And whatsoever you spend more, or whatever more it costs, when I come again, I will pay it. Let that sink in. Here's money for the next couple of days. And if his bill runs higher, I will pay it. Now Jesus said, which now of these three do you think was neighbor to him that fell among the thieves? And he said, well, he that showed mercy on him. And Jesus said, go and do that likewise. 
In preaching on our mission statement, of course, that is our goal collectively to preach the gospel, to see lost people found. We want to disciple the found. We want to be an oasis where people are healed and made whole. And we provide this house for teaching, preaching, exhortation, relationships, places of ministry, places to serve, places to go, places to give, and all of those things to mend the broken and sin the whole. But the part I want to emphasize this morning is the third in our series, and we're actually going to culminate the series today with just a statement. But the statement, mend the broken, mend the broken. Before you're seated this morning, I want to give you this by way of introduction. You are created as the solution for other people. As Jesus, Jesus said, as the Father sent me, so send I you. How did he send him? To heal, to complete, to pull out, to come alongside, to identify with, to listen, to care, to do miracles, to provide from his supply. Somehow we have made Christianity about how high can we ascend and how, instead of how low can we kneel. The better part of you is on the other side of healing other people. The best part of you is on the other side of healing people. If the Lord tarries and allows, I want to speak to you this morning on the subject, what of the mission, what of the broken? Would you pray for me as I pray for myself today? Lord, I am today very tender and in awe that someone like me gets to do this <laughs> this oh great day lord almost 40 years now and um, i'm just still so honored to have a hat and a jersey i just just want you to know that i'm grateful thank you for healing my life and continually healing my life not only through your grace but through the hands and feet and words of others you have sent them to keep me afloat and to encourage me and to give me perspective and may we all see today the importance of seeing other people and doing something with what we've saw may we not make our salvation solely about us but as Pastor Jason was referring, so you've given me this great salvation. Maybe it's because you want me to spread it and to help others. Anoint me today, I pray, O oh Lord, by the power of your Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated this morning. When the man asked Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus didn't tell him, he didn't answer him how salvation was granted. He answered him by what it looked like and how it acted. Number one, uh, this morning I want you to look with me as we examine the suffering. For those of you that like your outline out front, the main headings, the suffering, the superficial, the Samaritan, and the summation. The suffering, the superficial, the Samaritan, 
and the summation. For those of you visiting and you say, well, that's a mighty simple outline. That's because they have a mighty simple pastor. And it's good to swim in the waters where you're comfortable. Amen? All right. Number one, the suffering. It doesn't take much vision to see the brokenness all around us. It takes a special kind of spiritual amnesia to forget how broken you were and how broken you've been before and after salvation found your house. Jesus healed blind people all through the pages of the New Testament as he walked the earth. And I wonder if it's because he wanted us to think about the blindness, spiritually speaking, in the earth, that it's going to take others to tell them what they see. The older I get, you know, it's always our generation that was the hardest, our generation. But today, there seems to be a despondency and a brokenness that people almost don't even have the capacity to lift their heads up. Because it's all for naught. It's, we're all going to, you know, go the way of climate change or, the, you know, the polar ice cap's going to melt Tuesday and we're all going to be drowned. Or, you know, but there's always something and there's, a, there's a, a hopelessness and a helplessness. But in that, there is a brokenness. There is, we have several generations now of abused, abused, abnormal use of people. Uh, abandoned children, rejected spouses, uh, sexually abused, physically abused. There's, there's a brokenness in these people and, and we feel so unable to help except we've forgotten. We carry with us the presence of Jesus Christ. It's not us. It's not these hands, but it's what inhabits this body that these hands touch and, and, and are placed upon. That power. Let's look in our, our verse, our chapter of Luke, Luke chapter 10, and look at the suffering and just follow along with me in the Bible. These that suffer are victims of cruelty and the cruelty and callousness of others. Look at verse 30. It says, He fell among thieves, cruel people. Abusive siblings, sexually abusive uncles. And I'm, I'm not trying to be graphic, but there are a couple of things I need to say to jog us to the seriousness of what I'm talking about. That person you work with is not just someone that's negative. She was raped by her uncle on a weekly basis for several years. There's a brokenness in many of these people that lead to what you see and hear. There's a woman that's been left three times by three different men raising children in all three and feels worthless. So by the time you talk to her, you're just judging that moment and you don't know the number that's been done on her. Or the husband, the trauma that they've experienced. We see the PTSD in our soldiers, but don't understand that that has happened to people in normal life in other ways. And they're subjects of these things. They're victims. The Bible says that this man fell among thieves. Yes, there's a part of the brokenness of humanity that is caused by our own stupid choices. But there's a lot of abuse and misuse 
and cruelty and callousness and neglect that has harmed. Notice that it said he fell among thieves, people that did not care, that stripped him of his asset and left him wounded and bankrupt. You see the generalization there. Okay, letter B. The suffering are naked and ashamed. It said in verse 30, they stripped him of his raiment. When I stood before you during the dark years uh, of my life, and those of you that called this place home, you knew what those were. The part that I wasn't able to communicate really clearly while I was in it was because of great embarrassment. Um, I felt like I was preaching in a bathrobe. I was covered up, but I was very embarrassed. And when we've failed or been forced into failure, or when we have been uh, exposed, there's an embarrassment dynamic that only those who have been covered by the blankets of grace understand the importance of backing in with your blanket to Noah's nakedness and draping it over on him instead of calling it to attention. They are ashamed of their broken marriages. They're ashamed of, of... their habits, they're ashamed of um, their kids growing up without their dad. And yes, there's a part where we need to bring people to honesty because you can't repent of something you're not convicted of. But there's a, there's a gentleness that comes with identifying. And we who are filled with shame can understand the shameful. And we who have failed can understand the failures of others. And uh, uh, when I'm hurting my most, I don't just need somebody that knows what they're doing. I need someone that's gentle. Gentle. Starts when you're young with the splinter. It's not a matter of does mom or daddy love me most. Who's going to be the easiest with them tweezers? Now, I gave you something you can hang on to, right? It don't matter if mama was your favorite and you loved mama, and you're a mama's boy, if daddy was easy with the tweezers, let daddy do it. Why? Because when he heals me, it hurts less. That's good. I just I need to go back and write a sermon. Make a note, John, work that out. That was good. You need to understand that those that are suffering are not only, uh, have not only been abused and are, uh, suffered cruelty from the hands of others, but there's naked and ashamed. There, there's, a, there's a shame about their starting and stopping. Um, there's a shame to their backslidings. I've got a preacher friend of mine that has come and gone out of the ministry uh, five or so times. And he'll call me some nights. I'm sorry, y'all. I, I'm not trying to draw attention to myself. I'm just so tender this morning. I... I just feel everything. It's like there's no skin on me, and I'm I, I just feeling it all. So, uh, he'll call me drunk some nights, and I say, hey, preacher. And he said, I called just because I knew you'd say that. Is he living up to his means? No. Is he living up to the standard? No. Is he li- making excuses? Yes, but he's also ashamed, and he's also hurting and I don't have to look the other way and act like it's not there 
all the while I can deal with him tenderly, understanding the dynamic of the shameful fraternity is a, a cruel place to live. The suffering, they are no strangers to deep pain. It said in verse 30, part D, that they wounded him. And just bear with me. This, is, this isn't about me today, but I'm wanting to identify with it so that my words will have some type of merit in your ears. Um, some of us, what was done or not done, what was lost or taken away or was never given, there's trauma that goes with that that has altered us. There's, there's deep pain. When these robbers beat him up, he, he is going to feel that for quite a while in the physical realm. There will be scars left over um, for us in our life. When we, we deal with these people, they're so traumatized that it affects their sleep patterns. It affects their eating patterns. It affects their uh, dreams and such. I'm not saying this to give credence, like a, build a monument to people's pain, but it's just to make you aware. So when you come in with the oil and wine, you do it in a way that lets them know that I saw you, not just in the street, but I saw your pain. I saw your hurt. They wounded him. Letter D, they've been used up and discarded. It said in verse 30, part E, that they wounded him and then they departed. One of the, the signal marks of the world is they have someone that left them in their worst a parent that left them in their worst, a spouse that left them in their worst, um, abandonment issues, you'll hear. And we make it a joke now. It's so common that we make it a joke. And no, it's, it's, it's a real issue. It's hard to explain to someone what it feels like to be rejected. And you log a certain amount of years, and then someone walk away and you are left with the thunder in your ears that you weren't worth continuing the journey and you're just discarded it's not a matter of self-esteem it's a matter of the repercussions of what happened to you cumulative stress cumulative uh, failure or or abuse those people that are discarded need to hear that God turns no one away that comes to him. The people who are discarded need to hear that Jesus will, in no, will never leave you nor forsake you. They need to hear and see those things through us. Okay, uh, very quickly, letter E. The suffering had been counted out, given up on, left for dead. It said in verse 30 that, uh, that he was left for dead. One of the... Uh, Parts of my journey is that I had Christian friends. They, they weren't trying to harm. They just, you could tell they'd written me off. Said, John ain't going to make it out of this. Look at him. He's done lost 50 pounds. Stress diets work. I wouldn't advise them, but they work. But, they, you know, John's not going to make it out of this. He's, 
he's not the same guy. He's not going to make it. You know, be careful of those people that make temp- accurate, temporary assessments of you without understanding the whole you. So here's, here's this person left for dead. They, they give up on you. You're never going to come back. You're never going to be back like you were. And then I had a handful of people, my wife now included, and Mama Sheila, who would tell me all the time, at my lowest time, at my, when I tell you lowest, that's not just a, a word I'm picking out. The lowest, she'd say, John, God's going to use you to take the gospel to the nations. A man that can't even lift his head up. So what was she doing? She was saying, I see the pain you're in, but let me tell you what I see that you don't see. See, when others leave you for dead, the Christian is supposed to be able to see past their initial assessment. Regardless of how accurate it is in that moment, it's more than likely incomplete. Because while you're breathing, God's still writing. While you're breathing, God's still writing. For many, much of what happened to them happened because of the roads they traveled. Did you catch this in verse 30, verse A? A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho. All of this pain happened on the road to Jericho. All of this abuse, misuse. Now, in our lives, it's not all of it, but a lot of it happens because of the roads we choose. Jericho was a cursed place. The Old Testament is clear. Whoever builds in Jericho, that let them be a curse. Don't, don't, don't do anything there. Don't commerce there. Don't live there. And for many of them and us, we have not drawn the association between our path that we travel and the things that happen to us on the roads. Isn't it funny when we live, well, not funny, but don't you, doesn't it strike you odd that a lot of the stuff that happened to you happened to you on the road away from God's house, away from God? Um, I, I, I call it paying stupid tax. You know, if you could kick the person in the rear end who was the cause of most of your trouble, you wouldn't be able to sit down for a long time, that, that kind of thing. And for us in our life, we need to uh, know that even there are people we deal with that they are the reason those things have come upon them. Sometimes it's not their fault, and sometimes it is. You know, it's like the old the viral videos that come out and, Bubba's on the thing, goes, hey, watch this. You know whatever follows that. When that country boy goes, hey, man, watch this. You know the next thing. You know, pay, play stupid games, pay stupid prices. What is it? Win stupid prizes. Thank you. It's amazing what we remember and what. Okay. All right. So, dealt with the issue of the suffering, and it's not so much a doctrine. I just wanted to bring that up and let you know that almost everyone you come in contact with tomorrow is hurting at some level and some have been left on the side of the road and they're just waiting to die. They're still going to work, but they're waiting to die. They've already given up on the inside. They just haven't expired. It's going to get better. Hang with me. Number two, let's look at the superficial. These are... The professing believers. Modern day Christians, if you will. 
They are blind to the broken. Their only thing that they offer is callousness, an exemption, if you will. Does anybody else, does it bother you, the people that have the handicap parking and they get out and they just spry and running around and does that bother any? I just, I want to trip them. I heard every, I do. I heard every step I take. And I, I wanted to say to one lady the other day, I said, I'm more handicapped than you are, which I'm not handicapped. My point was, you, by the time I make the argument to them, you need to understand that they are way ahead of me with years of ignorance and arrogance. And I'm not going to sway them, so, so I don't say anything. Anyway. Just thought I'd throw that out there. Stop parking up front. Take your grandmama's sticker out your window. That made me feel good. The superficial. The superficial. They had names and titles that they no longer lived up to. Pharisee, Levite, Christian, ambassador. Listen. Now are we the sons of God. And God's people say, yes. We're the bride of Christ. Yes. We're the redeemed of the Lord. Let them say so. And then somebody goes, so. Yes. Yes, we are. Stop answering to the names and titles to which you no longer live up to. How can you be an ambassador of Jesus Christ and not stop? How can you be an ambassador of Jesus Christ and not care? How can you be one who is a storehouse and not give? Don't let it be lost on you that they still had titles that they weren't living up to. I, I give you a, a challenge if you want to do a, a neat Bible study on your own time. Go look up King Saul and when Samuel declared that God has taken the kingdom from you. Not he's going to. He has rent the kingdom from you. You are no longer king. And I believe it was two years after that, he was still wearing kingly robes in a crown. There's a lot of people called things today that they are not. And I'm not a Christian, and I don't have eternal life based on what I say. My life is the evidence of that eternal life beating in me and beating in your chest. Their minds, the superficial, their minds and their heart was corrupt, caring more about their safety because the robbers might be nearby. You know, the scribe and Pharisee might have been, well, I'll check on him, but this guy looks freshly beat up. What if they're right around the corner? Hey, watch, watch this for us. I can't risk my stuff on helping other people. I can't risk my life as I know it, the comfort of my life, the order of my life, the health of my life, so I'm going to move on down the street. Caring more about our leisure, because I'm sure they were on their way home from temple and synagogue, and we have a little system. You know, we have kids we have to take care of. We've got parents we have to take care of. And I just don't know if there's any room in my life for someone broken. I don't know if there's room in my life for someone that's going to get my car messed up or my clothes messed up or my schedule messed up. I've, I've, I've got a system now where it's working. This wasn't in my notes, but can I tell you a quick story? Now, this is going to really date some of us. Young people, you can just pick back up on the next point. 
How many of y'all remember the Byron Pop Festival? Bef- heard about it? Google it. Before Woodstock in Byron, Georgia, in many, many hundreds and hundreds of acres, was a precursor, or did it follow Woodstock? Followed. Uh, a ripple from that. Thousands and thousands. I mean, it was just just covered all of these fields, but it was a, a hodgepodge of, of mud, refuse, needles. And I remember just, just this moment, we had just got our first new car of our life. It was a Volkswagen slant back or hatchback or something. I don't know exactly what, you know, I was... I'm 61 and I was six maybe, so 50, 59 years ago. Whatever Volkswagen that was, that's what we had. Vinyl everything. And you know what it came with? Wipers. That was your, you know, what accessories do you want? Wipers. Does it have brakes? Yes, I'll take the brakes. That's all it had. It was basic, basic car. And my daddy, I remember him telling my mom, now my mom was all about giving and serving, but she was also the reason we had anything because Daddy would just give it away. Daddy gave away Christmas money all the time. We never, you know, she said, you give the babies Christmas money away. They were hungry, Sandra. So, you know, Mama kept us alive. So thank you, Mama, if you're listening. I appreciate it. But Daddy said, I, I got to go down there. She said, what you going to do at the pop festival? He goes, run an ambulance. I, I, I. In our car? The one thing we've ever owned as a couple, you know, we weren't poor. We were poor. We didn't even have the R on the end of it. We didn't have nothing. And we bought this car, and, and, and she said, they're going to, and she was accurate. They're going to bleed all in our car. They're going to throw up. They're going to defecate in our car. And he said, so do I do nothing? I think for all of us, somewhere between driving to the pop festival and acting like they're not there, there ought to be something in us that says, what can I do? I carry in me the Spirit of God. What can I do? I carry within me the Spirit of God. You have titles of such. They care, these superficial Christians care more about their resources because helping others is very expensive. Listen, not a martyr at all. Write this down. Caring for others is expensive. Financially, your time, your energy, it will... Anybody ever remodeled a house? Oh, did it not cost you more than you ever dreamed. That man that told you what it was going to cost, he lied. He, like, he might not have known better. How does it go double and triple what you thought? Well, you know, stuff's going up. It don't go up that quick. Healing other people is very expensive. And I think the Sadducees and Pharisees did the mental calculations. Watch. And determined that not only could this mess up my leisure, this could diminish my assets. So they acted like he wasn't there. There is a diminishing when you serve other people. 
when the woman touched Jesus and virtue left him. He said he knew someone touched him because virtue left him. He, he said, I have less virtue now than I had a moment ago. Giving your life for others can't be done without giving your life away. There's a diminishing there. These Pharisees and scribes cared more about the letter of the law than the spirit of the law. You know, he could be vile. He could be unclean. Uh, I don't know if I want to defile myself. Well, he could be dying. That's the other part, the common sense part. And scribes and Pharisees have a way of caring more about how he got there than where he was. We can figure it out later. But if you're confused as to what to do, help anyway. Because I've found I can always pull back. But that person may not ever get another chance. I may be the last help for them. The attitude and actions seem to be a common approach. See, ignore, exempt, and distance. That's many Christians. See the need, ignore the need, like forget about the need, exempt yourself, and distance. All the while unaware that they were a complete contradiction of the scriptures they say they believe, the robes that they wore, the titles they were known by, and the very nature of God that they think they knew. Don't be a Pharisee. A Pharisee is not just someone that acts like they know everything. It's someone whose life contradicts the things they say they believe. How can you be a Christian and not see other people? How can you be a Christian and not have compassion on people? See, everything that Jesus did, we're supposed to have that mind of Christ. Let the mind of Christ be in you. He saw people. He felt compassion for people. He met people where, he, where he, they were. All of those things. He healed people. He cared for people. Now, let's look at the Samaritan. That was heavy enough. Now we're going to move the plane, pull on the yoke, and go up. You ready? The Samaritan. He knew for certain he was no different or better than any man. Jesus called him a certain Samaritan, which already had a stigma. It's easy to help someone when you don't have a reputation yourself. One of the keys to helping other people is you don't see yourself better than them. Oh, Pastor John, and John, technically you're a bishop over these churches. And No, no, my name was John. I'm the chiefest of sinners. And whatever they did to get them in this place, I can probably match them and raise them a sin. It's easy to help someone when you don't see them as less than you. Only pride washes the eyes of Christians and makes them blind. I can match you. Anybody else can match them sin for sin? Okay, that's just good for the soul there. The Samaritan came to realize that he traveled the same road as the hurting. Verse 33b, as he journeyed. Do you know you're traveling the same roads to and from work? The same choices? We're all on the same road and we have the answer. We're all on the same road but we have the hope, the help, the healing. We're, we're it. Any of you ever coached Little League? You bring, you know, somebody gets hurt and you send in the next guy, you say, you all I got. Go in there and do something. That's what it feels like sometimes, except we're not thrown in there unequipped. We have the guidance of God and the compassion of God and the strength of God and the spirit of God. He had open eyes. The Samaritan had open eyes and willing legs. 
said he came to where he was. Christians don't do this to the hurting. Come here. Come to church. We'll help you. They, they get up out of the seat where they're seated or they get a, take a, 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 a turn from the path they're on and they go to where they are. Listen to your pastor. The first step is always going to where they are. Going to, it might not make you comfortable. And there's a difference between meeting somebody in a place of sinfulness because you miss the sin instead of meeting them there because you care for them. Years ago, I had someone call me and, uh, excuse me, one second. Hey, preacher, you can come pick me up. I said, sure, where are you? I'm at so-and-so bar. And they said, oh, but you don't go to bars no more. And they'd had a couple. I said, well, I can meet you there and pick you up. So I get there and walk. You know, I hadn't been in many years, thank the Lord. And it's been 86 since I've had any alcohol. I thank you, Lord. I was four or five nights a week for seven years and then none. But I walked in this bar and he's in the back. Hey, come on back here, preacher. <laughs> Every eye in the little. Why is everything so dark, too? Why, why, can't, why can't we see behind the kitchen? And why can't, anyway, uh, so everybody turned preacher, and I said, oh, okay. Want to shoot a game of pool? The old part of me said, you ain't live till a preacher kicks your butt in pool. I said, sure, <laughs> absolutely. So we play, and I skin him. I skin him alive. It's, it's still in there. Had a couple bad shots, but it was still in there. And hey, we played, and he goes, okay, I guess, I guess I, we can go home now. Because he thought... He was going to make me lose sight of why I came, put, put it on me. And I said, man, I, this, this old stomping grounds for me, this is nothing. But you know the beauty of it? When I took him home and prayed for him and said, thank you for coming to get me. I said, you're welcome. This may sound silly to you, but that quickly a fever blister broke out on my mouth. And I felt like the Lord was showing me. Sometimes you got to go where you're not comfortable so you can reach hurting people. And so you can, you know, well, what if someone saw? Well, if they, if someone saw me go in there and thought I was going in for me, then I hadn't been doing my job too good. I'd like for someone to say, I wonder who John's going to get out of there now. That's what I'd like for him to think. Willing legs. He came to where he was. The Samaritan felt the feelings of God, said he had compassion on him. He humbled himself by identifying. He said he went to him at his lowest, his weakest, his loneliest. He got his hands dirty. He poured in the oil and wine and bound up his wounds. Listen, you can't help anyone with, uh, that's truly in need that wants your help without getting your hands dirty. You got to hear the details. You got to walk through all the stuff with them. You got to cry with them. You got to pray with them. You got to go through all, you, you have to, when this guy pulled back his skin and poured in oil and wine. See, he didn't do this in a clean, sterile emergency room. He's on the side of a dirt road. And he said, all I got is what I brought with me. And he cleaned those wounds out with his hands and scrubbed them. So I'm risking myself to help you. Who does that sound like? That's how, that's how you know you're in the vein of his will when you are giving yourself, exposing yourself uh, for the help of other people. Not because you're anything, but because you're next. 
You're just next, next in line to help. He became his transport. He set him upon his own beast, verse 34c. He brought the man into safety and rest. He brought him to an end. And he did the all-nighter. It said he took care of him. And on the morrow, when he departed, sometimes it's a long process. It's years. I had a little girl come to our youth group when I was a youth pastor. So, 87, 88, 1988, something like that. 16 and pregnant. And I didn't know the whole story. But she came and she gave her life to Christ. And we took her out to supper and heard some of her story. And I said, so what what are you doing? Well, I don't have a place to live right now. I said, what do you mean? Well, a certain situation happened. I said, well, you can come live with us. Really? Mm -hmm. So we took on someone and uh, we did Lamaze. And then when that baby was born, well, he lived with us. I didn't really think about that. I just, you know, we'll help you. We'll be Christians. And then she brought him home. And uh, they stayed with us a couple years. And uh, how many of you old enough and had babies or grandbabies and you went through the Aladdin movie? Okay. Y'all know I didn't have kids back then. Let me show you how much time we spent with this precious boy. Maybe he was not worthy. Oh, there's a surprise. I think I'm going to have a heart attack and die from that surprise. We're never going to find a stupid lamp. Easy, Fargo. (laughs) What are you telling me? I'm telling you for hundreds of hours. Hundreds of hours. I sat with that little boy, and we watched Aladdin. We bought school clothes. We paid for daycare. We did all that. Sometimes you don't get it all done in one day. But it costs you. And that girl today is a wonderful woman with several kids. And she's the head of a department of a hospital. And um, she's just done wonderful. But we couldn't do it all in one day. You have to pull all-nighters, which is a typology of you stay until the dawn breaks, till morning comes for them. All right, almost done here. The Samaritan financed the recovery. He took out two pence and paid the innkeeper. Can I be honest enough to tell you that when I agreed to do that, I felt God's spirit. And then when the cost started rolling in, I was making about 15000 a year preaching at that time. And then we took on uh, her prenatal care and feeding her. You want to laugh a minute? Hungry girls, that's, that's a different... Back then, I, I remember when I'd come in at night, I'd you know, call and I'd say, can I, can I get y'all anything? And she t- same thing every night. She'd want this foot-long subway with every... When I tell you everything, if it's behind the plexiglass, she wanted it on it. Covered in jalapenos and a banana popsicle. Well, that don't sound like a lot. You know, back then, probably $7, $8 plus popsicles eight or nine dollars every night i'm making 15 a year that was a percentage of my income just just keeping her in subways not to mention the other stuff at the hospitals and there was a part of me early on this was the one of the first big things i took on does anyone see what i'm doing for the kingdom of god all i was doing was sharing what i had And if you don't break that 
immature uh, martyr complex. It is our reasonable service. It's reasonable to give up your leisure, your comfort. It's reasonable. He started my music. I didn't even know. Just, just, just heard. It's our reasonable service. And he said, hey, I'm going to incorporate other people into helping. Uh, will you help this guy? And when I come back, if it's cost, I'll pay. I'll, I'll help too. I'll. He made himself available, which means after the helping, he said, if you need any more, let me know. Well, John, what happens when you run out? Well, that's up to God. So if I'm giving out, he's responsible for the putting in. And did you know I've never given one thing away that he didn't give me first? All right, in closing. Now the summation. Did you hear it when I read? Oh, let me tell you this real quick. I got time. Maybe squeak it in. Some of you don't know that this simple story, this message, is how Christ Chapel was started. I woke up one morning to the sound of utter chaos in my driveway. I didn't know what. We just moved to our second home on 3597 Overlook Avenue. Uh, our first home was 900 square foot, like $40,000. You know, we loved it. A little two-bedroom house. We moved into our first three-bedroom house on Overlook. And I thought the world was coming to an end. And I hop up, you know, like the old man get off my grass, you know. I come out and I say, well, what are y'all doing? And there's like 20 kids in my driveway. And they said, it's the bus stop, dude. I wish I knew real estate law then like I know it now. You're supposed to tell people if someone's died in the house, you're supposed to let them know if there was ever a crime committed in the house. And God knows they're supposed to know if it's a school bus stop. So now follow along, follow along. So I saw him. My flesh goes, my spirit said, go open up cabinets. Took all the Pop-Tarts out, all the granolas, all everything. Come out in the driveway. Hey, what do y'all like? What do you want? My name's John. Good to meet you. What's your name? So-and-so. And I started the relationship with them. Every morning, same thing. Pop-Tart bill went way up. Breakfast bill went way up. After school, they get in, off the bus. Oh, they get off the bus at my house. <laughs> Pastor John, Pastor John. And just cereal and sandwiches and stuff. But I got to know him by name. I know who needed a coat. I got, you know, I started buying coats and clothes. And this one needed you. This one just needed you to listen. This one, I can tell something's happened to him because he can't look me in the eye. And you start caring and you start shaping and one of the little boys said Mr. John when can I go with you to church I've been telling them all about Jesus and I didn't have a cell phone or computer back then you know handheld computer so I checked my little day timer and I told this little boy I said I can take you in six months or something like that and as soon as I heard myself say that it was like a light turned on and I said no I'll take you next week and I went inside and I said I gotta start a church for these neighborhood kids she said, what? I got to start a church. So no voice from heaven, no angel, no dream, no vision, no. I just saw them. And somebody's got to do something for these kids. And on the first Sunday, 
of Christ Chapel at Executive Park North. I had 11 kids in the back of my red pickup truck. You go to jail if you did it now. They sliding from one end to the other. Shannon Peak is one of those little kids. Yes, yeah. Beautiful girl, loves the Lord. Got a baby here, and this, I can't be that old. But they're, they're all sliding around in the back. And uh, on the first Sunday, the first convert was that little boy. Christ Chapel was not birthed out of a, a organizational, collaborative it was what Pastor Charles was saying when he was in Nebraska and he felt the Lord saying go to Macon you hear a voice you see a need and you just say here my Lord I, I'll go I don't know nothing about starting no church so I guess that means I don't know nothing about starting 12 I'm nothing you just, you just act on what you've seen so the summation did you see it in the beginning did you feel the pressure building with the ignorance, arrogance, callousness, and casualness of the lawyer, the priest, and the Levite compared to the humility and servanthood of the Samaritan? It's right there in the last verse. Look in your Bible. Will you go back to it? What does the last verse say? And Jesus said to him, Go and do likewise. What that man did, that's what you do. Just like the first message in our series. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. The second sermon, Men the Broken, uh, uh, Disciple the Found. Go into all the world and disciple the found. Make disciples of all men. The third story. Go and do thou likewise. I think maybe the Lord's got a word for us. Go. Go. Go preach. Go teach. Go mend. Maybe that's what sin the whole is all about. Sin the whole collectively, corporately for us means when people are well and we've poured into them and helped them, missionaries or just families, when they leave, we bless them. Now listen, and we say, you don't owe us nothing. When we started a church, I've had one rule. Our elders are in total agreement. When, when we help you start, when you're out on your own, you can't give us anything. You don't owe us nothing. Sin the whole means the guy that helped the man bleeding and dying on Jericho Road didn't expect payment back. We're waiting on payment from the Lord himself. You don't owe me. That's what sin the whole means. You don't owe me nothing. To that young girl that's raised her kids, you don't owe me nothing. Nobody owes me nothing. It is I that owe the debt of love, which causes me to invest my life in other people instead of spend it upon myself. Hey, Jesus, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Fulfill the law. I haven't. I've fallen short. I've failed. So what am I supposed to do? And then Jesus says, well, let me tell you what salvation looks like. If that flows from your life, you're alive. So can I ask y'all, what do you see around you? What are you doing? Don't, don't shoot for the end. Don't, don't write out a, a nine-step plan 
to heal somebody at work. If you see them, have you stopped? Have you got down to where they were? Have you cared? And if you do, God will guide you to the next step. You'll hear a voice behind you saying, this is it, walk in it. He'll tell you when to open your wallet. He'll tell you when to close your wallet. But the most important thing is that we give them the significance of stopping and caring. What kind of Christian wouldn't stop and help someone? You'd be shocked. Our churches are known by what we have instead of what we give away. This is a sobering series, isn't it? someone very special knocked on my door right before service and said, Pastor John, can I pray for you this morning? I said, sure. And it's someone that I, I can't take the credit for, but a lot of their healing and wholeness happened in this house. I told you the better part of who you are, the better part of who you are is found on the other side of helping other people. You're the key. You're the key to someone, or you're the one that knows the key, and you can facilitate that. God, grant us eyes to see and ears to hear, legs that are willing, hands that are open, prayers that are praying. Brother Charles, will you come and pray for us this morning? I know this is right up y'all's alley in your heart with coming to plant. Uh, also, Charles, if you'll pause just a minute. Chad and Danielle, where you at? Will y'all stand for just a moment? This is a perfect example of not the broken and the, the dying, but this last week they shared with us that after 20, what, three, four, 20 plus years, they went here before they were married. They have felt God pulling them to ride around their neighborhood to be involved more fully in men's ministry with his brother and her and children's and they left this is like water to my soul we didn't want to ever go without letting you know what this place has been and I said well y'all we bless you y'all have been a joy to pastor and to know and I just wanted to right before Charles comes uh, our elders if you would go gather around them and those that know and love them, would you do that real quick? Would you go quickly to them? They're standing right here from all over the building. Just go and you know and love them. Hey, we love you guys. We all blessed them and honored them this morning with a hand. We send you off with great joy. Let's let them pray for them, and then Charles is going to dismiss us.
you'll stand. We're going to get ready to dismiss you guys. And I want to remind you guys about tonight, um, Bible study. Pastor's going to bring the word tonight, and things are much slower. It's a teaching time. But also, we have prayer from 5 to 545. If you want to come be a part of that, it'll be an amazing thing. Pastor has really, man, just shared his heart the last few weeks. And I don't know about you guys, but I have been challenged. My toes have been stepped on. I feel like I have been awakened, like refreshed. I feel like that there's a soberness to these messages. And my head now is on a swivel and my eyes are wide open. And I'm looking for those who are broken, hurting, wounded, lost, and don't know Jesus. There's an alarm going off inside of me right now, and I feel like this alarm should go off inside of every single one of us. There should be an urgency for those that don't know Jesus. There's an, there should be a awareness of what the Spirit is saying and what the Spirit is doing inside of us and trying to do inside of us. Our hearts should beat for the lost. Our hearts should beat for the broken, the hurting, and the wounded. We should be willing to give our lives for the cause of the gospel. What's some challenging messages you have brought to us, Pastor? And I pray today that as we leave this place that we will not allow this to stay here. We will not pick this up and put it down and maybe use it at some time later down the road. But I pray today that it would be an urgency that would rise up in us that would say, I know somebody, I have somebody in my mind. And not even that, but just be spirit-led as the spirit leads you. Allow God to use you and open your mouth, open your home, open your heart to what God is trying to do in and through you. I believe that if every single one of us catch on like that, that we wouldn't have room enough for the people that will be brought to the kingdom of God. Amen? Let's, let's go to God in prayer. Father, today we love you. God, we're thankful, Lord, for your grace, your mercy, your kindness, and your goodness. And Lord God, so many of us, Lord God, we have been hurt along the way. We have been broken. We have been wounded in some kind of way. And Lord God, today I'm thankful for the church. I'm thankful for that person that came along and picked us up and put us on their donkey and bandaged our wounds and took us to a place where we can find healing and took care of us until we were mended and brought back to the place of wholeness. Lord, I'm thankful for the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm thankful for the body of Christ that, that cares so much that they pray for me, that, that they're there for me. And I'm thankful for the church of the Lord Jesus Christ in our communities and in our city. Lord God, that their eyes are wide open and they have compassion on those who need compassion that they're not afraid to share the goodness of Jesus Christ. They're not afraid to share the things that you have done within them so that those who are without can come and be a part of what's going on within. Father, I pray today that as we go throughout our day, God, I pray that you will continue to minister to our hearts in that way. 
Lord, I pray today, God, that as we move about, God, that you will keep us safe from all harm and danger until we meet here again. In Jesus' name I pray, amen and amen. God bless you all.